Good morning, church. As you probably heard, my name's Char Broderson, and I am a good friend of both Ryan Smith and Lorenzo Smith. And I've had the privilege of actually uh, teaching at your church in the past, and it's a privilege to be able to be with you this morning. Though I can't be there physically, um, I do pray that the Lord would use this word to bring encouragement and bring wisdom uh, to your community uh, in these strange days. Uh, let's begin by just reading from our passage this morning, Mark 4, 21 through 34. Jesus speaking, it says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can you compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without parables, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this morning, I don't want to focus so much on these parables. First, because I think Mark's focus, in this passage at least, is more on what comes before and after the parables. And so I want to focus on that. But secondly, I think it would be great for you, after we talk through this passage, to go back and to sit with these parables and contemplate really what Jesus is saying. Now, I'll say just one thing about this, kind of in light of our present circumstances, and then we'll get into our passage. But both of these parables speak of the inevitability of the kingdom of God. And I think what, I, what that means for us is though we may judge it to be small and insignificant in light of the world's needs, maybe at this moment or even in the past. We think about the fact that the kingdom of God came into um, the world incognito. Jesus was born literally in a barn in Bethlehem in the back hills. No one knew. Uh, kings did not receive him at his coming into the world. There wasn't this uh, great reception for him. He came incognito. It was small and insignificant. And yet, it is uh, God's rule and reign, though we might not be able to judge it at its inception. I think that's what Jesus is saying here, right? It may seem to be without power compared to those who rule this world presently, but the fact is God's kingdom is coming into this world and nothing can stop it. 
The whole cosmos, in fact, is headed for that moment when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We're heading for that moment where he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. This is unstoppable, and nothing in all of creation, Paul tells us, can thwart the promises of God getting to the world he loves so deeply. Not height, not depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Not the apparent tragedy of the cross, not nuclear fallout, not even COVID-19. And in this In this parable, Jesus speaks about the earth itself and its ability to reproduce being a mystery. He says, we sow seed in the ground, and by and large, the earth just kind of takes care of the rest. You know, we commonly say, let nature run its course. The earth knows what to do. Likewise, the kingdom is inevitable. We sow the seeds of the kingdom, but we leave the mystery of how and when into the hands of the king. I think we need to talk about the purpose of Mark's gospel in order to really understand this passage. Of course, Mark's purpose of his gospel, it's varied, and it can't be boiled down to one thing. But some reading Mark have considered Mark's gospel to be the simplest of all the gospels. Uh, If you know a little bit about the history of the canon, Mark's gospel was the first gospel to be written down and recorded. And so because of that, many have taken Mark to be kind of the bare bones gospel. The facts about Jesus were written down just to get the word out about the gospel. You know, so it doesn't have uh, a lot of the parables that Luke has, and it doesn't have a lot of the teachings that Matthew has. It's just the bare bones. It doesn't have, you know, some of the Old Testament connections that John makes. It's just the bare bone information about who Jesus is and what he has done. Well, N.T. Wright, in his book, The New Testament and the People of God, he says something different. He says, Mark, at first blush, the easiest of the synoptic gospels, retreats from the advancing interpreter like a rainbow's end. A simple outline, it seems at first sight, eight chapters to explain who Jesus is, eight explaining that he's going to die, an abrupt beginning and a mysterious end, granted, but a straightforward account in between. But... When we reckon thus without the literary critics, the abruptness of the opening and the darkness of the ending, many have said, permeate the whole story. Mark is a book of secrets, of veils, of mysteries. What N.T. Wright points out here is that unfortunately, we've taken the gospel of Mark only at face value. And therefore, we have missed the mystery and beauty of this gospel. Now, reading Mark, many have turned to Matthew and to Luke to fill in the gaps. Or maybe, you know, you pick up a book on the harmony of the gospels. But in fact, this is to miss out on Mark's literary genius and purpose. Mark is a standalone work with a deep purpose of drawing disciples in He wants us to read backwards, as it were, or to hear the echoes of the scripture in a way that they would have never been interpreted before in order to see Jesus doing what Yahweh had always done and had promised to do. To overthrow Israel's enemies, to lead them out of exile 
and into the kingdom of God. Mark wants us to see Jesus taking up the story of Israel in a new but profound way to bring it to its destined end. And there are moments when Mark lifts the veil, as it were, on the identity of Jesus. Right? When you think about at the baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You think about the transfiguration. Think about the confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living of God. You think about the trial before Caiaphas where Jesus himself declares who he is, that he is the son of man. You think about the centurion at the foot of the cross. Mark's whole telling of the story of Jesus, though, is designed to function as apocalypse or unveiled mystery. At other times, Mark is like this proverbial shoe dropper. He drops one shoe, but he, he doesn't drop the other. He, he's different from Matthew. He doesn't quote the scripture. He's different from John. He doesn't make these direct connections to the story. He rarely quotes scripture, preferring rather to allude to it and to speak metaphorically. What is he doing? He's letting the reader seek out and search out the mystery of the identity of Jesus or turn a deaf ear in lazy dismissal. Can, I just want to give a quick example of this. So there's a story of Jesus walking on the water in Mark chapter 6. The story is that the disciples have been sent to the other side of the Sea of Galilee in their boat, and Jesus goes on the mountain all night to pray. And during the night, the storm kicks up on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are rowing, and they can't make it to the other side. And Jesus comes down from the mountain where he's been with the Father, praying, and he sees them struggling. And so he walks out on the water to seek them, to, to be with them, or so we think. But as Mark tells the story, Mark specifically notes that as Jesus is walking on the water, the disciples think it's a ghost. They begin to freak out. And it says this weird phrase, Jesus meant to pass them by. And if you're just reading Mark's gospel through and like good storytelling, Mark doesn't explain this. It's frustrating. It's weird. It, it, it doesn't fit. You're like, what's going on here? And we can just blow through that and just be like, Maybe this just isn't meant to be here. I don't know. And carry on. But Mark is, again, he's the proverbial shoe dropper. He just drops this thing. And who's listening? Who's looking? Who, who, who's searching? Who's seeking? What is Mark referring to? Now, some scholars have looked throughout the Old Testament to find what Mark might be alluding to. Some have looked to the Exodus. Others have looked to the, uh, the Psalms and some of the retelling of the Exodus story. But in fact, Mark is alluding to the book of Job. Listen to this. Job is talking about God and his power and how he is incomprehensible. He says he commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals up the stars. He alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. He made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. He does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Verse 11, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive or I cannot comprehend him. 
What Mark is doing here, and only the, the alert reader will catch this, will find this, is Mark is drawing us in. Jesus is so much more than you can possibly understand. He is not just God incarnate. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just this. He's not just that. No, he is the incomprehensible God. Behold, he passes me by and I do not understand him. Mark is inviting the reader to do what Jesus calls the disciples to do here in chapter 4, to discover the inner secret behind the strange outer story. So I believe that Mark, the passage that we're in this morning, is the key to unlocking Mark's gospel, Mark 4. So probably the most key interpretive passage for understanding how to read and interpret this gospel is found in the first part of our passage, Mark 4, 21 through 25. And I'll just read it one more time. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and even more. For whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Then, of course, there's the two parables. And then Mark adds this. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Here, Jesus is saying that his teaching is cryptic on purpose, and it, it's cryptic in order to get us to search and seek him. As demonstrated after the parable of the sower, have you ever noticed in Mark's gospel, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and then he ends with saying this, anyone with ears should listen and understand. Is he being funny? Like, what, what's going on? Well, why would Jesus say, hey, if you have ears, you should hear this. Everybody has ears. But what does this mean, right? Is he being funny? No, he's being cryptic and aloof on purpose. Mark's Jesus doesn't stick around and do a Q&A. I find that very interesting. Mark's Jesus is basically like, you want answers? Mull it over. Don't dismiss it and write it off. Don't have dishonest doubts. Oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's ridiculous. What does that even mean, right? Instead... Seek the rabbi, Jesus. And as you do, more will be revealed to you. For those who write Jesus off, they will miss out on the revelation of God and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. For those who will doubt their doubts and suspend their judgments and press into Jesus in order to truly hear, more will be revealed. Mark's Jesus is in fact fulfilling the judgment that God himself said he would perform to judge and restore. This was spoken by Isaiah and the prophets. God talks about there's going to be a day where the insiders, those that think they know God, those who should have known God and recognized his kingdom when he came. You think about in the Gospels, it's the authorities, the religious leaders, the high priest family, the scribes, the Pharisees, right? They're in fact blinded to 
who Jesus really is. They're blind to the fact that the kingdom of God is there. They're offended by it. They dismiss it and even fight against it. While, in contrast, those who are considered the outsiders, the Galileans, Gentiles, blind Bartimaeus, the lame, the demon-possessed, and even a vile Roman pagan, in their opinion, truly see and have a revelation of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And Mark uses this insider-outsider motif again and again. But there's also a deeper reason for Mark's cryptic and mysterious Jesus. Quoting from Rowan Williams, he says this, Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus holds back from revealing who he is. Because it seems he cannot believe that there are words that will tell the truth about him in the mouths of others. What will be said of Jesus is bound to be untrue or only partially true. That he's the master of all circumstance. That he can heal where he wills. That he is the expectant, triumphant deliverer, the anointed. There is a kind of truth which, when it is said, becomes untrue. Remember, the world that Mark depicts is not a reasonable world. It is full of demons and suffering and abused power. How in such a world could there be language in which it could be truly said who Jesus is? Now, I love that, but I think it needs to be countered with this word from Richard Hayes. Richard Hayes says, but Mark doesn't leave us in simple silence. Mark's answer is that there is such language in the stories and symbols of Israel's scripture. If it is misleading or careless of the mystery to say that Jesus is the God of Israel, just as it is not permitted to speak the ineffable name of God figured in the Tetragrammaton, Mark believes there is still a way of narrating who Jesus is by telling stories in which he has the authority to forgive sins, to still storms, to walk on the sea, to feed the scattered sheep as the true shepherd, to make the deaf hear and the mute speak. There is a way to narrate who Jesus is by identifying John the Baptist as the voice in the wilderness who will proclaim Isaiah's gospel message of the end of exile by crying, prepare the way of the Kyrios, the Lord. Through the poetics of illusion, Mark gestures towards the astounding truth those who have ears to hear will hear. I think that the church in some way has been too quick to get people to receive, as it were, a packaged version of Jesus. You think about just sometimes the way that we do evangelism, right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he died for your sins on the cross? Do you accept this? and make this profession. Yes, 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 but stop for a minute. Is that all there is to Jesus? And has the church made the mistake of making this a benchmark from which we quickly move on from to more important things? I feel that sometimes we as Christians are, uh, or as mature Christians, are satisfied giving Sunday school juvenile answers to who Jesus is. We're, we're like people, if you would just 
give me the liberty, were like people saying Bob Dylan is a musician. Now, I'm a musician, and I love Bob Dylan. But if somebody were to just say, make this statement, Bob Dylan is a musician, the statement is 100% true. But it doesn't even begin to tell you what kind uh, or caliber of musician and artist Bob is. It doesn't tell you about his significant influence on modern rock, folk, or country. It doesn't tell you his influence on civil rights or his protest songs against the Vietnam War. It doesn't tell you how he shaped modern American history and culture or that he is the number one recorded artist of all time. What about the fact that Bob received the Nobel Peace Prize for literature because of his contribution to music and the world, and there is so much more to Bob, right? Bob, well, to an infinite degree, when we say things like Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is God, though these statements are 100% true, they, in fact, do not even scratch the surface of who Jesus truly is in his fullness. It's like what Job experienced. Remember, Job, he was questioning what God was doing and, and, and beginning to doubt and speak in such a way about God that just was not honoring God. And then finally he has this revelation and he says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. For us, I think we have heard things about Jesus and we think that we've got it. We think we have all of it. We have no idea what we're talking about or who we're dealing with. But the point then isn't to say, well, then who can understand? Who, who can know Jesus? He's incomprehensible. No, the point then is to lean in. The point is to accept that this is a mystery that I will never plumb the depths of, but I will spend the rest of my life pursuing this knowledge of who Jesus is and of what he's done. The point is to shut our mouths and listen. The point is to take in all the works and words of Jesus at a deep level. The point is to slow down and to sit with this incredible mystery. And that's what Mark is inviting his re readers to do to give a true listening and true contemplation of the identity of Jesus that will cause us to lay our hands on our mouths lest we say something that is actually beneath the majesty of who Jesus truly is. This mystery, as it is unveiled to us as we sit with it, will drive disciples into true and deep worship adoration and amazement as we behold Jesus's glory. It will launch us out to make Jesus known, the great one. It, it, it will launch us out to make him known in radical countercultural ways. We will sit and behold this mystery and take it in and be conformed more and more to that image. But without fully immersing ourselves in the mystery, without taking time to really contemplate Mark's portrayal of Jesus, we will miss out on the transformative work that the Holy Spirit seeks to do in our hearts through Mark's gospel. Remember, God isn't just after our heads. It's not just about receiving information and being able to regurgitate that information. It's not just about our intellect. God is after our hearts and he's after our desires. He's after our worship. He wants to evoke true worship from our lives to make us 
true disciples. So here is the challenge then of Mark's gospel through this passage, to let this gospel be a guide to learn to stand before the mystery, the mystery of Jesus in silence, to acknowledge the limitations of our understanding and draw us closer, to move further up and further in as we wonder at the mystery of our God and his kingdom in the face of our suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would say that Mark claim is this, it's only those who lean in and hold their criticisms, who will suspend their doubts and open themselves up. It is those alone who will be given the mysteries of the kingdom of God and the true nature of Mark's Jesus. As I was thinking through these themes of Mark, and there are many more, right? I was trying to encapsulate this idea of mystery and discipleship. Mark, as you probably know, has a continuing theme of discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus the rabbi. And so I came up with this. The disciple is one who will give weight, consideration, and deep contemplation to the ways and words of Jesus the rabbi, even when or especially when baffled or offended. The disciple will seek to have eyes to see and ears that hear. And as they do, Jesus promises, more will be given, more will be revealed to them. And so church, I would encourage you, don't let the noise all around you distract you from the opportunity that you have at this very moment today to sit with the mystery of God, to contemplate Jesus, the gospel and the kingdom of God at a deep level. Sit with this mystery. Take it slow. Let the Holy Spirit do his work of forming you and shaping you to be more like Jesus. There's no hurry in that sense. Sometimes we want to rush through the scripture again, I think because we're thinking that it's about the information that we get and that we receive, but God wants to transform us. He wants to transform our hearts. He wants to transform us, our motives from the inside out. Paul the apostle says this, and I'll, I'll close with this. We all with unveiled faces get to behold the glory of the Lord. And as we do, we are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the next. But I would say that takes time. That takes silence. That takes deep contemplation. And so church, slow down and just take this time to lean into Jesus, to lean into this gospel. Don't rush through it. Give time for deep contemplation of Jesus and of your life in contrast to that at a deep level. And as you do, more will be revealed. You will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So be it unto you and Lord, be it unto me.